what's next for you? You got back from London. You just got back. You've probably been spending some time with family. Like, what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, so I am going to be starting my last semester of college, which is terrifying. <laughs> um, and I don't know yet for afterwards. Um, I'm currently in the process of doing recruiting and still networking and applying for jobs. I have a few things to finish off from last semester and then getting kind of right into the swing of, of all that applying for jobs. So I'm mostly applying for agency jobs in LA. Nice. And this will be your bachelor's? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yo, massive congrats. At 21, that's that's huge. That's huge. Um, I can't imagine the stress that comes with that. Uh, obviously, not only time that's being spent, but also just like the work and trying to figure out like what's next and, you know, the connections that you're making. You mentioned that you met some people in London that have become like long-term friends now, or at least like very strong friends. Were they also in this like film program that you're doing or what, what was their association? So not really. They're more in the English side of things because London was more focused on English and theater. Actually, we went to see a show every week in London, which was amazing. So yeah, they're more kind of, they're, they're in their own fields. Would you want to do theater? I mean, you're a singing, like you likes to sing. Like that's your forte. At least correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, like that's your passion is like theater. And is so is that kind of the world you want to dip your toes in or do you want to be in kind of the film world? Yeah, I think I, when I was younger, that was huge part of my life and it still is. Like I love musical theater, but in terms of where I see kind of the most change and opportunity is more in film right now and honestly long term like I would rather work behind the scenes in film than in theater um if I were to do theater I would probably just try and go be on Broadway which honestly doesn't sound appealing to me right now because the lifestyle sounds pretty horrible um so that's kind of that's kind of where I I transitioned like kind of midway through high school, I was kind of like, I don't think I can I can do this for my whole life. But I still love doing it. And I, I, you know, have considered acting as well. So we'll see. Is that still consideration? Are you are you still dabbling with that? Oh, for sure. Like when I get to LA, I want to take an acting class, just like dip my toes in it while I'm working. Because I definitely want to have a stable job. Like that's kind of how my brain works. I don't think I can work with the no structure um, and the no money, especially at first. But once I, you know, build some experience and meet people, who knows? I'm kind of leaving it open right now. Yeah. Who knows? You might be working with Timothy Chalamet or Jacob Elordi or any of these young, uh, you know, these these popular guys that are in, or, or even, you know, Margot Robbie and Zendaya. I mean, that'd be cool. Yeah, that's that'd be really, really, really I, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that interests me more. To you be you didn't see any of them when you were at the Paramount lot, did you? Like, did you see any big? T- you mentioned that you saw Colin Farrell. Did you see any bi- other big name actors? So I actually, w- I worked this party. I think I mentioned this in a lot in the last episode, but I worked this basically celebrity party. It's like a women in Hollywood event, and. I met a few people there, um, kind of just 
like on the down low like I was kind of just I just kind of said to them like I really admire your work or whatever like we didn't have conversations but um no not on the Paramount lot unfortunately because the strike was happening so no one was doing anything that's right wow okay I'm like just I'm kind of dumbfounded by your journey right now because it's while I've been here making podcast episodes about movies you've been traveling the world and getting into just the life of every, which is so cool. Like I say this every time, it's just so cool to follow your journey and who knows, maybe one day we'll both end up in uh, the LA scene and then there will be a film or something that we're both working on, which would be really cool. No. And you've been very supportive. I really, you make everything I sound like everything I do sounds so cool. So I really appreciate it. Well, here's, here's my thought process before we dive into everything with Maestro. I, I just, whatever anybody is doing, you know, whether somebody, let's just say somebody is working like a, a, a desk job, you know, and they're working as a, what's like the most stereotypical job that people think of, whether it's good or bad? Like, is that like an accountant? Like is that sales. like the, the, Amer- yeah, sales, you know, what's funny is there's probably a good chunk of people, like 90 plus percent of human beings that aren't doing what you're doing. And so especially in the world of creative arts or dipping your toes in the water of, you know, going overseas and going to eight different countries in a four month period, like 99% of people aren't doing that. So it might sound normal in the moment where like, it's just part of the experience, but it's really cool, especially as a friend or somebody seeing you from the outside. It's cool that you get to experience that. And I'm, I'm here to support you every, every step of the way. So Thank you. And I'm really grateful that I'm able to do that. No movies? You haven't been watching movies? That's what you mentioned, right? Movies have kind of been on the back burner a little bit. Yeah, because I I haven't really been like sitting down. Like I wasn't, I feel like I wasn't sitting down for three months. Like I, I was constantly just out and about, to be honest. So I am getting back into it now. I've been watching a few things. So what are some highlights then out of the of the minimal amount of movies that you've seen? Like, what are some of the highlights? Well, what we're going to talk about today, the one thing I did see in London at the um, British Film Institute Film Festival was Maestro. I bought tickets for it and I was like, I'm going to this because I've been dying to see it. And so I saw it in October. Hell yeah. What else? So wait, wait, wait. So you saw Maestro in the or in October so that was before the release obviously two months before the release I was so jealous when you texted me about that um and then you also you went to Cannes earlier and you saw some films at Cannes would you say that there are some films that have been highly anticipated or highly talked about that was actually a disappointment for you well I loved May December at Cannes I remember you mentioned that I was and now now I'm thinking about it and it's funny because a lot of my friends have texted me because I re- recommended it so highly and they are like why do you like this movie so much it's so disturbing and I was like that's really interesting because I just don't think I thought about it in that way because it was so exciting when I was seeing it because I saw it at the premiere and it was it just felt so like crazy and thrilling to watch it there that when I really consider like the actual film, like it, I, I still think it's a beautiful film. I think it's the performances are truly the standout from it. But I need to rewatch it because it's. I think it plays very differently in Maestro the same on a small screen. Yes, yes, very much so. May is May December a comedy? I saw this on Variety's on Variety yesterday, 
This is such an interesting question because I don't think so. Like, do you think so? I think it is one of the most fascinating films of the year. We, I actually did not spend any time on this podcast talking about May, December, but maybe I should have because this has not only become a meme, but it's also become like a focal point of conversation where half of the people, me, I'm part of this half, they see Natalie Portman's performance as one of the best of the year. And then the other half are like, oh, it's Natalie Portman again, being like a little over the top. And then people are obsessed with, uh, what's his, Charlie, Charles Melton? Charlie Melton? Charles Melton. Like, there's this weird vibe around the movie. And I just don't know how people feel. I don't know what to, there is. to take from everybody's reactions. Yeah, I expected it to get kind of kind of what it's getting in terms of awards buzz and nominations but i don't know we'll see if it wins anything that's kind of what i'm i'm wondering about because there's just so much this year yeah that it could get overshadowed i'm trying to think if there's anything i mean charles melton i think has a real shot at supporting actor even though i personally like robert downey jr and ryan gosling and some of these other names that i've actually seen thrown into the mix as well and we'll talk about you know some of the performances from maestro but I just, I don't know. It was such a weird film. I, I wish I saw it in theaters. I'm sure it played so much better. I just think I got distracted a little bit. But yeah, definitely one that was talked about. I think it is when you're seeing it in a theater, especially with an audience that is so receptive to it and really wants to see it, it feels much more like a normal movie. You know, like kind of your commercial typical movie that you would see in a theater. Whereas when you watch it, this happened with me for Maestro. When you watch it at home, like with your parents or with people who may not be as receptive receptive to it, it feels so different, like the actual viewing experience. So I'm curious if you saw Maestro, because we both saw it twice, right? You didn't see it more than twice? No, I've just seen it So twice. we both saw it twice. And I'd be curious to know how you felt if you saw it for a second time by yourself, like by yourself at home on Netflix Because to your point, if you're watching a movie that maybe you care deeply about, you know, if I'm watching The Prestige with somebody, I'm constantly thinking to myself, like, how are they feeling about watching this movie rather than me just like locked into this movie that I'm watching? And I'm wondering if that had anything to do with your experience with Maestro, because I think we we had some differences in, in our second viewings. Like I... I mean, I don't want to like spoil it before we dive into it, but no, you know, go ahead. I, I I watched Maestro again, you know, yesterday at the time of this recording for this this podcast because I saw it at one of our independent theaters here, which is a gorgeous experience, just so quaint, a great place to watch a movie like Maestro, which needs to be like kind of delved into and picked out a little bit, and you have to really sit there and think about what you're watching. And then I watched it here with my notebook, and it almost felt like a similar experience. Like my notebook acted as the theater experience of me, like picking out what I'm focusing on. Uh, but there's a lot like it's, it's, I mean, did your parents not like it? I think they just didn't like the intention behind it. Like, I think they expected a Leonard Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein biopic. Oh, okay. It wasn't. Not at all. It isn't. And which I understand why they would think that I kind of thought that going in. Yeah. And I think it's a bit hard to understand what they're saying a lot of the time, (laughs) which I saw an interview where Bradley Cooper 
was talking about this. He's like, that's like, I've gotten feedback like that. Like people don't understand what they're saying, which makes sense. And I kind of, my mom was like, turn it up. I can't understand what they're saying because they're just talking. There's just moments of, you know, they're in that dialect, that like almost transatlantic dialect. And they're speaking so fast. And so I kind of do understand that aspect. And then there's just, it's, it's, it's a very artistic type of movie in that there's lots of pauses and they kind of sit in the moment and coverage is weird. Like they'll, they'll shoot a scene from really, really far away without ever cutting, which I personally think is like an interesting and kind of helps the message of the movie a little bit and their relationship. But I do understand to the average viewer is frustrating and like you don't really get what's happening. And what we can dive into that more, but this is good. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much to to pull away. Yeah, there's a lot. I will say to your parents' point, I watched my second viewing with subtitles, so I think that did help me because yes, I I don't know. Did you watch it with subtitles? My dad doesn't like subtitles. Like he's so avidly against them, and I was like, let's just turn the subtitles. He was like, no. You know, I watched my first viewing of the Iron Claw in theaters was with subtitles. That was the I only can't wait to see. It was that. the only viewing they had, and so I was like, well, I'll take the subtitles in theaters in the big format. It was very weird, but like that's so it interesting. It didn't take away from the experience. Yes, one of the best films of the year. I'm excited for you to experience that one. I definitely want to see that. For sure. Well, I feel like we got to dive in now. Now that you, you've got me kind of brewed up in this maestro look. All right. So some quick movie news. Um, no news really besides just movies to look forward to in 2024. There are so many movies. I put together this fucking massive list that doesn't even... There's so many more. Like I, I kept so many off the list. So I'm just going to go through this so fast. And then at the end, tell me one or two that you are like truly so excited for from this list or if it's off the list and I just didn't put it on here. Okay. All right. So the movies that are coming out in 2024, we have Dune part two, which that was pushed from November um, into March. I believe the first week of March uh, drive away dolls, which is directed by Ethan Cohen. So if anybody knows the Cohen brothers and the films that they create, uh, you have Fargo, you have uh, no country for old men, very good filmmakers, but I believe this is uh, one of the first solo projects. Love Lies Bleeding. I am seeing this at Sundance. I'm going to the premiere. I'm so excited. This is an A24 product. Um, Stop. Yes. So I am so, so excited. Um, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Sundance, I should say TikTok. They offered me 10 films at Sundance. And so I will be at Sundance. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm very, very excited. Um, Roadhouse with Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm sure everybody's seen Jake Gyllenhaal just shredded in all of the behind the scenes footage. Um, it's like a UFC type type movie. We have Mickey 17, which is one of my top anticipated movies starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, this will be directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also did Parasite. Uh, we have the movie Challengers coming out, which I was very excited for last year, but it got pushed off because of the actor strike. This stars Zendaya. It's directed by Luca Guadagnino. Also, there is a uh, Mr. What's his name? Mike Faust. Mike Mike Feist. Feist. Yeah, Mike Mr. Feist. Theater yeah. Star. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I liked him in West Side Story, so I'm excited to see him in this one. Yeah. Uh, we have Civil War, which is directed by Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina. He did Annihilation. His movies are so thought provoking and a little bit, uh, a little bit deeply like cutting. So I'm excited to see that one. We have Furiosa, a Mad Max saga starring Anya Taylor-Joy, this origin story directed by George Miller about uh, Mad Max. 
And then we have If, directed by John Krasinski. Uh, looks cute. It looks adorable. I feel like this is the type of movie you would expect by John Krasinski rather than The Quiet Place uh, or a, a Quiet Place, which he provided. We have Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. We have Inside Out 2. We have The Bike Riders, um, which is massive, starring Tom Hardy and Austin Butler and Jodie Comer, who is low-key one of my top favorite female actors and nobody gives her the time of day. So I'm excited. Um, A Quiet Place Day One, uh, mentioning that franchise, not directed by John Krasinski. We have Deadpool 3, Beetlejuice 2. Wow. Return of Tim Burton, Return of Michael Keaton, Return of Winona Ryder. And then we add some Jenna Ortega in the mix. Uh, We have Wolves. So we have the return of Brad Pitt and George Clooney. This is not an Oceans movie, but it, it should be at this point. Uh, Joker Folia Doe, so, so hyped for that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maxine, the third film of the the X and Pearl trilogy. We have Gladiator 2, Wicked Part 1. I mean, this has been in production for what feels like 10 years now, so I'm excited to see this. Uh, Mufasa the Lion King, which, wow, I don't even know what to expect with that one. But And then Nosferatu, which I am very excited for. So I know there's kind of a, a weird compilation of movies here but do you have one two or three films that you're like dying to see i think challengers is definitely the top of my list ever since this was announced i i mean the cast i love josh o'connor absolutely love him he was in this film in can which i had no idea he was in the movie and i went and saw it and he's so good and then mike vice obviously love him and i'm so happy because i know he's just gonna get so much attention from this and and he already is, and it's so exciting. And then obviously it's Zendaya. And I'm excited because honestly, I feel like I haven't watched Euphoria. What? But I feel like I haven't seen I know, I know, I know. I've seen like a bit of it. I've seen some episodes, but I don't I didn't like love it, and so I didn't really keep watching it. I'm really excited to see her in this kind of movie, especially directed by Luca, because I feel like he brings new things out of actors that you wouldn't expect from them. Yes. And I'm really excited to see her through his direction because I feel like she hasn't been given this kind of opportunity in a film yet. Yes, I agree. And then I'm really excited for Imaginary, for If, for Imaginary Friends. I think I remember when he announced this and Steve Carell, and I forget who else is in it, but... Like everybody and their dog are every, in this. Literally everyone. Exactly. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds, exactly. Matt Damon, Emily Blunt. Um, there's so many people. I can't even like think about all the names. But yeah, it looks adorable. You know, it looks adorable. Yes, it looks very sweet. And I like that it's kind of a departure from his other, his other works. And I guess um, Wicked, I mean... I can't believe this is finally going to be really... I truly cannot believe it. I'm still annoyed that they split it up into two parts. I understand why, but it's just annoying because we've already waited so long yep. for this movie. Yep. And I'm truly so in on the casting at this point. Like, I really think the two women who... Obviously, Ariana Grande is one of them, but the woman who plays Alphaba, Cynthia Erivo, is honestly my favorite vocalist like in the world at this point. She is so amazing. And... I'm very excited to see them together. She's one of the most under underrated female actors currently. Like Cynthia Revo is really, really good. Just hasn't been given that opportunity. I mean, she had Harriet, the the film Harriet, but she just hasn't been given the opportunity to truly expand in some big marketable project. This is it. Big marketable project. This is it. This will this make so it. much money. 
the, she will be her and Ariana Grande will be center stage on so many different projects moving forward because of this. And so, I'm so excited. Yeah. And if you're a crazy rich Asians fan, you know, you got a good filmmaker behind the realm. So this will be good. I'm excited for it. I am very excited for Mickey 17. I uh, just because Parasite is in my top 10 movies of all time. And I'm so excited. I think Robert Pattinson is one of the best actors in the world and he chooses his projects so carefully. Did you see um, The Boy and the Heron, English dubbed version? No, I have not watched that yet, but I've been seeing it everywhere. So the movie itself is a little too meta for my taste, to be completely honest, but Robert Pattinson is outrageously good in this movie. Wow, oh my gosh, okay. His voice does not sound like him, like at all. He, he is transformative. I've seen clips. I've seen clips. Yeah. He's he's wild. He's wild. So No, that's going to be amazing. And the plot like I I looked up I looked it up a little bit. Oh, what is the plot? I have not I've not read into Mickey 17 at all. I think it's um yeah, so it's okay, so the Google thing is uh the Google summary says a disposable employee is sent on a human expedition to colonize the ice world something. There's a the ice world is named something that I can't pronounce. After one iteration dies, a new body is regenerated with most of his memories intact. So it sounds very like sci-fi-y. It sounds a little bit like Poor Things, if I might say so by myself. Oh. Do you know? Do you know the story behind Poor Things? I know you haven't seen it yet at the no, time of this recording. Don't I don't want to know anything. You don't yet. want to know a single thing. Anything. Okay. All right. No, I don't, because I I've seen the trailer, but that's all I I want to know. Okay, I'm just gonna let you know right now. Mark Ruffalo is phenomenal. Out- outrageously I good. Love Mark Ruffalo like to an embarrassing amount. Like I adore him, and so I'm so excited. Yeah, I've to never see seen it. this from him. Like this type of act, I just never. It's yeah, I'm excited for you to see this. Uh, Mickey Seventeen. I mean, Dune Part Two is like a gimme. Like I'm not even gonna say that just because I I am very excited for Dune Part I know, Two. But that's just I know. like yeah. Um, I'm looking at this list like the child Joker. You said yeah, probably. Joker is definitely high up there. The fact that it's a musical and Lady Gaga apparently it goes beyond method in this movie from the reporting that I've been reading. And I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm here for Lady Gaga to go method because she already has that vibe of like zero to a hundred. There's no like 50% out of Lady Gaga. She's either going to go for it or she's not. And did you watch, I think it was, what award show was it? where she sang like she I think it might have been the Oscars last year I'm not sure but yes it was the Oscars. yeah and they were filming Joker too and she was like completely immersed in her character that she didn't wear she just wore like street clothes went up performed was it the Oscars yes yeah she or Grammys one it was of one of those it was one of those it was a big award show and she performed and then she left she was like I'm, I'm out like I don't even think she stayed for the show like she went for the performance did the performance, which was phenomenal, and then left. I was like, wow. I totally forgot about that. She just came. I did not know it was because of that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for that one. Yeah, the child version in me is very excited for Beetlejuice 2 just because I love the original. Um, But a lot of good movies. Like I think everybody will have their own unique taste with all of these films. And then there's even films that we left off. Like there's Venom 3 that's coming out and... Other movies that I don't think will perform well that will be big marketable hits that I just did not put on this list. So, one thing I will add is Inside Out 2, I'm really hoping is good because 
Pixar needs a win right now. Like as a Disney fan, obviously we've seen all the reports and know everything that's happened in the past year that Disney's kind of struggling right now in terms of content with Marvel and everything. And I think right now, honestly, Star Wars is kind of their only like source of quality content in, in some of it, not all of it, in, in, in some of it. So I'm excited because I think Inside Out is one of the best Disney Pixar movies to come out in the past like 10, 15 years. I agree. The, I, I'm a little worried though because it it did not merit a sequel. Like it didn't need one. And the fact that they're giving no, it one. No, it didn't. It's, I know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Sequels just never do well. Like Gladiator 2, I'm I'm a little worried for. With Paul Meskel though. I know. Paul Meskel. I'm excited. Have you seen All of Us Strangers? I haven't seen that movie. No, that's. There's so many anticipated movies because obviously I'm excited for these, but there's so many in 2023. Like I haven't even be able, been able to make my list from 2023 yet because there's so many that I still need to see. What would be on your list right now? What would be on your top list? Like what comes to mind? That I need to watch? Or just like... Or that I've seen? Both. Give me a five. Give me five. Give me like five of the films that you've enjoyed a lot. They won't. They might not be on your top 10 after everything's said and done, but like... From this year? From 2023. Well, I loved Air. That was the okay. beginning of the year. Yep. Um, honestly, loved Saltburn. I just watched that the other day. And we could. This is a whole other podcast episode that we could talk about. Do but. you do you love Jacob Elordi or do you love Saltburn? Let me just ask you this question. I no no no. I don't actually care for him too much as a oh okay as a person. Personally, I don't. I just I don't know. I I still haven't seen Priscilla. That's another one I need to see. Yeah, it's. I swear, it's honestly, it might be Barry Keoghan. I'm. He's incredible. I really like him. I really like him. I shared a a video of him, kind of giving away the fact that he is most likely going to be in Batman Two as the Joker. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, when he first started as the Joker, I'm like, meh. But after seeing Saltburn and Banshees of Inisherin, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm sold. I'm I'm all in on Barry That's Keoghan. What I mean. There's there's like a tweet going viral right now that's like put Barry Keoghan in a good movie. And I'm like, he's in so many good movies. Like, have you seen Killing of a Sacred Deer? That's a great one. I've never seen that. Okay, that's a real. That's a. Who's the director? I don't remember. But Colin Farrell's also in that. That just sounds like it's going to be a. a what's his name? The one who did Banshees of Inisherin and In Bruges and. Yes, um, Martin McDonough. Yeah, Martin McDonough. It sounds like his world. You know, if you have Colin Farrell and uh, Barry Keoghan, that's just like, oh yeah. A, I know. It's an Irish film. Yes. Anyway, Barry Keoghan, I think, is... And Rosamund Pike. Both of them were really standouts to me. Yeah, Rosamund Pike said that she was so surprised that anybody even cared for her performance. She's like, why am I getting hype? She's like, I don't think this is, deserves hype. And I'm like, well, you're you're Rosamund Pike. Like, you deserve hype. I know. Like, have know. you seen your own film in Gone Girl? Like, you've, you've created your own hype. I know, she has. And I will say, the actress who plays Venetia... We're kind of going off of it, but she, her name's Allison Oliver, and I think her monologue in the bathtub is so incredible, and I saw a play she was in, in London, and I met her afterwards. This was like two months ago, before Saltburn came out. What? And she was so, so sweet. Yeah, I messaged her on Instagram, was like, because I, I knew her from a show, she's in a like TV show, and she was so kind. I think this, it's well credited too. Like she did great. Barry Keoghan's great. Jacob Elordi's great. You know who's also really good? Um, I, I I don't remember his his name, but he's in Gran Turismo. He's the main guy in Gran Turismo. 
I'm like spacing Archie on. something? Yeah, Archie like Mataduke or something like that. Like Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yes. he does a good job. Like Yeah, he was great. I liked him. He does. And I think that he's definitely going to be picked and chosen for so many different projects moving forward. He's in that like young Timothy Chalamet phase where Totally. He's he's in these like artistic roles and pro- I mean not Grand Turismo, yes. but like Saltburn is a very Timothy Chalamet type story. And so yeah, I mean, we'll see if he ends up in other projects. I just think like bottom line on Saltburn, I just don't think Emerald Fennel gives an a fuck about anything. No, not at like, all. Literally she gives and she does not care at all what people think. And I respect her so much for it. There are three moments in that film that my jaw touched the bottom of the floor. And the way I just giggled through this movie, like I don't think I was even shocked. I don't even know how because it's so outlandish and mildly disturbing what's going on in this movie but i was just on the floor laughing like i just thought it was hilarious i truly was yeah i I saw this at fantastic fest it was like a secret screening that they allowed at fantastic fest and so packed packed theater and you know i'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it but there are these moments that the entire theater, like nobody said like, oh, like what the fuck? But everybody gasped. Like it was like a comment, like a collective, like, oh, and I was like, oh my God, everybody feels the exact same. Just like disbelief that they're watching what they're watching. Uh, Promising Young Woman is a better, better uh, Emerald Fennel film in my opinion yeah. though. Real, like, I agree. I think I like that movie better, but I, I think Saltburn's super fun. I think Promising Young Woman has more of a direct intention yes. behind it. On the tone of Carrie Mulligan, should we get into some maestro? Should we get into some maestro? Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So maestro, let me give a quick synopsis here. Okay. So on the verge of securing a golden opportunity, American conductor Leonard Bernstein begins a tumultuous relationship with actress Felicia Montalegra, upturning their lives. So this is directed by Bradley Cooper, who has only directed A Star is Born, which was definitely critically acclaimed um and then he has this film and now he has another project underway which seems to be a comedy with will arnett so if anybody's a fan of will arnett or his work it seems like that's probably the route that they're going to take but question for you do you see bradley cooper as a filmmaker or do you see him as an actor like which what what kind of comes to your mind first now in 2024 not like thinking back on his history because he is historically known as an actor I think it's really exciting to see him kind of delve into this world. I know that from just watching interviews, he's talked a lot about how when he's been an actor on films, he's really been in the filmmaker mindset. And so I think it's really cool that he's able to and has given it huge opportunities to be able to take it on at such a big scale. Um, I personally think of him still as an actor because one of my favorite movies is Silver Linings Playbook. And he Never is so good it. in that movie. <laughs> I know we've talked about this and this is insane. Insane. Truly, you must watch it. You must. It's so Philadelphia. It's so ingrained in like my like blood. Like I love it so much. Isn't there a famous scene from that one where he's in the like a cafe or a diner or something and he's like super sharp? I don't know what the scene is, but there's like yes. a very popular scene and I think it's from that movie. Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Okay. Yeah, I think Bradley Cooper is one of, like, he has made two films. I want to stress only two films, and he has become 
top of my list when it comes to trusted filmmakers. Like if he's providing something, I'm I am immediately in the seat watching his movies in theaters. I there was one week that Maestro was showing in theaters in Utah, and I was like, I am fucking there. Like not a chance I'm missing Bradley Cooper, who I predicted would win Best Director a year ago, a year and a half ago. I know you did. And you did. I remember that. I don't think he's gonna win, but I think he's going to be nominated, not only for yes. you know, directing, but acting, and we'll get into that as well. But I think he's he's creating a certain art that is not for everybody. It's absolutely a little bit niche. You know, his his style is, you know, with a star is born, incredibly heavy, incredibly emotional. And that one was a little bit more generalized for audiences. This one is niche. This one, he formats things differently. So this stars Bradley Cooper. He is in the lead role as, as Leonard Bernstein. Carrie Mulligan is his counterpart as Felicia Montalegra. And then Matt Bomber is also in this. Sarah Silverman and Maya Hawk as their daughter. So this is rated R two hour and nine minute runtime overall thoughts give it to me we've seen this twice we've both seen this film twice what are your thoughts yeah so this kind of goes with what we were saying with bradley cooper i thought it was a beautiful movie just visually beautiful language is beautiful i think stylistically was miles ahead of star is born like you mentioned a star is born is just a more commercial film and obviously start a very a very famous pop star essentially and i do think it's amazing that bradley cooper directed and acted in this movie because i heard that he stayed in character or in in the voice at least while he was directing and he would get to set like five hours before the crew would get there and get in hair and makeup and everything and i just i really think that you don't see a director who's also the actor so dedicated to something and I know he worked for years on this movie and I do think it really showed I think there's moments where I really felt the time especially seeing it a second time and but overall I think it's so visually stunning and I think the performances are incredible especially Carrie Mulligan who has definitely been on the rise in recent years but I think her performance has garnered a lot of attention and I'm so happy for her because I think she is one of the best actresses working. Yes, Carrie Mulligan, definitely on the rise. She's been in a lot of big projects recently. I'm curious, where did you feel the second time around? Where did you feel like you felt the time the most? I think it was starting in the middle. Okay. I will say, as we mentioned before, it was a bit hard to understand them and their meeting was kind of hard to understand and and the trajectory of their relationship. I think towards the middle, it just got very kind of just a little too laid back for my liking. And I understand it's about life and it's about a relationship that's kind of ebbs and flows, but it just felt a little slow for lack of a better word. All right, so here, here's my question then. Do we know who Leonard Bernstein is after watching this film? Like you said that there was, there's kind of a dead space in the middle of the film and the time does, you know, especially with not only their dialogue and it's a little muffled because they have very strong accents and the way that Leonard Bernstein talks and at least Bradley Cooper portraying him, do we know who he is after watching this film? Is this a stereotypical biopic where we're walking away saying, oh yeah, I know who that guy was? I'm interested to hear your opinion. Okay. Because I really think this was about the relationship, which I think this, I think Bradley Cooper intended, 
but I don't think a lot of people were expecting that going in. And so I think they expected more from it, or at least I originally did, but I still really enjoyed the aspect of the relationship. I do wish we got a little bit into, I feel like we, that we were constantly being told that Leonard Bernstein doesn't know who he is, doesn't know himself enough. And Felicia seemed constantly frustrated by that, frustrated by that. But I wish we actually got to know him, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. As an audience member. I remember listening to Bradley Cooper talk about this project and he said, hey, look, first and foremost, Leonard Bernstein might be the most publicized composer slash conductor yes, yes, yes. of all time. Like he, he's like, there's no point in me doing a biopic because he's been filmed yep. in everything he's done. And so in that element, I think this this kind of 50-50 story of him and Felicia makes sense. I mean, look, we learned that he's a massive people person. He hates being alone. He smokes a shit ton of cigarettes. He's bisexual. He's a gifted conductor and composer. Uh, he loved to drink and he dabbled with some cocaine. He cared deeply for his wife and his kids. Like, I think I got enough of like, okay, I know who Leonard Bernstein is without knowing Leonard Bernstein strictly by the way that Bradley Cooper shared his mannerisms. And like, I don't know when you see him in the younger version of himself, he's so like peppy and he's so like just this like curiosity and this, this people, I wouldn't say people pleaser, but very curious about people in general. And so I think I learned a good amount. I will say, I don't think I learned enough about Felicia. I don't think I know who she really is even though this was kind of a 50-50 film and we see both performances at an equal scale, I think they gave us much more in-depth, you know, a much more in-depth look at him and his complications rather than her. So I think that was the one part I think I would have wanted a little bit better. I will say just because I didn't, I totally forgot to even mention this. I had a great time with this film. I think this is one of the best films of 2023. I, I hate that I was financially forced to make a top 10 list before I saw this, but uh, <laughs> uh, this would be on my top 10 list. I think this is a great film, but once again, it's made for people that like me, like I, I, I wanted this type of story and it's, it has its, yeah. its flaws and it's, it's ups and downs. But one of those things that I think a lot of people might be feeling are the black and white sequences. What are your thoughts with those? So the first time I saw it, I don't think I even remembered when the color switched. Like, I obviously there was an understanding that there was black and white and there was color sequences, but I don't think I really processed it. I feel like this is becoming a trend. I don't. I don't know. Obviously, they it's been kind of used in a nostalgic way before. Oppenheimer did it. Poor Things, I believe, does it as well as this film. Yep. And I kind of understand why they did it in that like. It's meant to symbolize, or at least this is my interpretation, it's meant to symbolize the different stages of their relationship. Color is more complicated and just more nuanced, I guess, and their relationship is more complicated and nuanced as as they get older, and he is more complicated. Um, So that's kind of what my interpretation of it was. I didn't find it bothersome, but I can can see why people might. It, It doesn't necessarily bother me, though. Okay. Yeah, when I watched it for the first time, which, by the way, I like your interpretation. I think that that actually fits the like logistical side of my mind of like why he decided to do it sure, black yeah. and white. Cause I think I have to do that. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to think like, what's the purpose of you doing this in black and white when nothing seems abnormally different? Like 
in Oppenheimer, it makes sense to me. You know, it's substantially different, you know. But in this one, I'm like, what is going on? And I will say I got caught up on a couple things because in the black and white sequences, these are the most developmental periods or stages of his life. Like he became a professional conductor and he started composing projects. And like there was that scene where they leave the dinner table. And because I, I think it's his uncle or his dad or somebody saying like, you need to stop, you know, doing like compose. You, you need to stop being a composer and start being a conductor. Like I, I think that's what he said. And he, Bradley Cooper's character or Leonard Bernstein had these projects in his mind that he's like, well, I want to, I want to do these things. And Carrie Mulligan is like, hey, let me see these these projects. Let me see what you want to show me. And so they go through this like stage production of him like. I guess showing the Leonard Bernstein projects that happened, but maybe like, did, did they not happen? Because that's kind of going with the story. That's where I got caught up. I was like, whoa, this is confusing me a little bit because they're creating an entire production. Is this just supposed to be hypothetical and non-literary? And I didn't know. So I think that was a little bit like confusing, but the black and white looked amazing. Like this looks like vintage black and white, like 1930s black and white cinema. And I really like that composition of the way that they did the film. But the story side of it really felt a little rushed and a little bit meshed together. And so, yeah, I don't know. Did you, how did you feel about that stage part of the the black and white sequences? I agree. It took me a little bit of time to get into it. I had to look up what the works were afterwards. So it's, one is called Fancy Free which I think is like a composition. I don't think it's a fully fledged musical. And then the other one is a musical. It's called On the Town, which I knew about before. And so I knew a little bit of the music and the dancing because it's like sailors and that kind of environment which they show on the stage. I do think it kind of, when I realized afterward, I think after seeing it the second time, it foreshadows their relationship a little bit because there's moments of like, there's so much joy at the beginning and then he kind of gets pulled away from her on stage like physically that's right or they get pulled away from each other and then they come back together and then they go pull the party out so i think that it was part of that like kind of foreshadowing what their relationship is going to be like because it's at the beginning of it i don't know i think it, it was very creative and very. a and a cool kind of experimental take on showing a bit of his work the honestly a huge part of this movie for me that that was a disappointment is as like a huge west side story fan and musical fan, I think, which makes sense because apparently Leonard Bernstein didn't love his, he was very focused on classical music and really, I think he was like shamed by the classical music community by delving into musical theater, which is upsetting because as a musical theater fan, I was upset that there wasn't more West Side Story references and things like that. I, I mean, they breezed over his massive accomplishments. Like they they didn't show any of them. Totally breathed. Yeah, and so I do think in the black and white sequences, Bradley Cooper is the most experimental with the film style. Like they go through like the overhead and they follow him running out of his his apartment into the the theater. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. Like you're actually experimenting with a lot. And so I almost took the black and white as like, those are his most like ambitious stages of his life. Like he's actually trying to work on his art and discover more. Whereas in the color sequences it almost feels like he's trying to stabilize his life. Like he's trying to like maintain this level of, I don't know, like professionalism um, until the end, which, you know, there's 
we'll get to that in a second. But like I, I, I like them a lot. Like I like the black and white, but I think it was a little muddled. It was a little, uh, it was, it was a little meta, but I, I, I liked it, especially a second time around. It brings a lot of clarity to what he was doing. Whereas yes. the first time you don't even know what you're watching. And so, especially for me, I, I didn't even know who Leonard Bernstein was. I like no idea who he was. Never knew he existed. I was just like, cool, we're doing a biopic. So I think watching it a second time provides that clarity. I love that we both have to like to find reasons to justify this in our head because, <laughs> and I'm sure Bradley Cooper justified it in he exactly. had a of reasons, but we don't know that exactly. And, so. and that's the thing, like it, Bradley Cooper wouldn't make these sequences, especially with how brilliant he is, without some reason, without some like totally. Hey, this totally. needs to make sense to me as the filmmaker. You know, unless you're Wes Anderson and you just make whatever the fuck you want to make, then, you know, that's that's a different story. But um, this is a multi-character focused story like this is Felicia and this is Leonard Bernstein. What stood out to you with these performances? Tell me, Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. Was there something in particular with both of them that really stood out to you? I think when I first saw the casting, one, I love Carrie Mulligan. I think she's brilliant. And so she's able to be so restrained on camera while just giving so much on her face like she's really just communicating so much while being like restrained yes and i don't know it's hard to describe but i it was tough for me to figure out their chemistry at first i do think they had chemistry it felt a little too orchestrated at first but once they kind of got older and that aging process kind of took place it made much more sense and they their characters just the conflict made sense to me in a way. Um, I think there's a scene where Bradley Cooper, where Maya Hawke's character, his daughter asks him if he's been cheating on his, on her mother with a man, like if the rumors are true. And I literally was watching this movie and it looks, it almost makes you think Bradley is about to break character and tell her because you can see that he wants to tell her so badly but Felicia's like, you cannot tell her like this. We're not breaking up our family this way. And that scene is so powerful to Incredible. me. Because I just think you can see everything, every single thought that goes through his head. I think the best scene of them together, which I'm sure we'll touch on, is the scene in the apartment. I think their dynamic in that scene is so fascinating to watch. Yes, we will definitely touch on that one because that is... One of one of two of the best scenes of the entire film. Uh, I I think Bradley Cooper, to your point, it does feel orchestrated, like him and Carey Mulligan's performance. And it almost reminds me of like the old school James Stewart romance films. Like even like It's a Beautiful Life. Like it reminds me of their relationship. And I almost wonder, was that purposeful? Was it not? Because it is so structured to be a vintage style film, like an OG you know, romance film from 1954. But in reality, like this is, you know, this is a 2023 product that's incredibly gorgeous. And the dialogue is really rich. And to your point, maybe a little too rich at times. <laughs> so I, I think he's devoted. I think he is so transformative, especially as his character ages. Like he goes through three or four phases of aging and, he's just committed to the accuracy of like Lenny's internal and external expressions, like what he's feeling, but also what he wants to say. That scene, like you mentioned with his daughter, with Maya Hawk is one of the most powerful scenes of the film. 
because we get this we get this this note of his restraints because he can't tell his daughter what's actually true even though that's not the type of person that he is like he he does not care he's such a blunt and candid exactly. person that he's like yo i'll tell yes. you that i'm gay and i'll tell you that i i've been seeing these guys like it doesn't bother me but you can tell to felicia's point and carrie mulgan to your point just does such a really really good job she's so grounded she provides like these these memorable moments of just restraint but also kind of like over the top explosiveness out of nowhere and yeah, she does that in yeah. a couple scenes so i i think they both did incredible i'm i'm curious where do you think they stand in terms of like winning an oscar and or getting nominated i think they'll both be nominated i think there's so much competition for i think we both know who's going to win best actor I mean, at the Oscars come on, this year. Come on. It's our boy, Killian Murphy. Come on. At that point, like, I don't... And I just watched Oppenheimer again. Holds up, obviously. But it's just so fucking good. It's phenomenal, truly. And you saw The Holdovers. Like, where do you think Paul G. No, Mott- I haven't. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. okay. I, I thought you saw it. Okay. That's on the list. That's on the list. I, I need... I'm on... I'm writing, like, four essays right now. And I need to finish them. And then I'm going to watch The Holdovers. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I, I hope Carrie Mulligan... Like I, I would want her to win. I haven't seen four things yet. I know Emma Stone is, is getting a lot of critical acclaim for that, and I could see her winning. But she's already won an Oscar, and so I'm like, just the personal thing for Carrie Mulligan. I, I, I would love her to win, and I know Lily Gladstone would also be. But I don't know if she's supporting or leading. Yeah, I think Lily Gladstone would make sense as a supporting. Okay, because I think. That would be incredible, an incredible win, but I do think Carrie Mulligan is just so captivating in this role, and Bradley was so right to choose her for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I do think Killian Murphy will win. I think Bradley Cooper is two, maybe three behind Paul Giamatti. Um, it kind of just depends, too, right? Like Best Actress does Carrie Mulligan? I would imagine goes for lead because yes, her, I think so because of her time in the film. With poor things, I think Emma Stone might have solidified herself as the best actress in the entire world. Um, she, uh, what she does, <laughs> this is what I've been hearing. I need to see what she movie. does in that film is fucking outrageous. I am, I am <laughs> mind blown by what she does and how she's okay with it. Like it just, it's, it's so crazy. And I, the fact that you don't know anything about this movie is just blowing my mind. So. I would personally. I, I'm, well, I mean, obviously, I know a little bit, but a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, Lily Gladstone, I will say, I thought she was the best performance in Killers of the Flower Moon. However, she's in it the least out of Leonardo DiCaprio, out of uh, uh, why am I forget Robert De Niro? Like she's she's not in it a ton in comparison to them, and so I think she would have to go for supporting, even though I think she's campaigning for leading, which is kind of an interesting take, but. Carrie Mulgan, I think, is a strong two. <laughs> I think she's a strong number two behind Emma Stone. And I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, anything else about the actors, about their performances? I, I think we covered I mean, the supporting characters, I think Matt Bomer, that scene where they first meet, where he first oh, meets yes. Felicia. That's a great scene. Is so such a good scene so awkward you can just like feel it like i just was like like you can just feel the because he just has that like ken not not to use this reference but he just has that like ken doll smile he does he's he's 
a very attractive man and he just plasters on this like fake smile and it's so good and yeah i, th- I think that scene is was just one that i was like squirming at Bra- bradley cooper's line in that scene is incredible oh was that insensitive was that insensitive of me and i'm I, like yes that was I fucking know. insensitive are you yes, kidding obviously <laughs> I know, and that also is a really great scene in kind of showing you who Leonard Bernstein was too and like his attitude towards that stuff. Because I think he just takes life really lightly, especially at that point in his life. But yeah, I thought that was a great supporting performance. And um, Maya Hawk, I thought, did a great job. I was really surprised to see her. I had no idea she was in this film. Same. And then when she popped up on screen, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, I think she's just like luminous like i think she she's like beautiful in this movie she's so like light on her feet and you know she i play, she plays the eldest sister and it just seems like she really got that role um down so it was i was ex- happy to see her in this she, she was great really good cast i don't think there's many eyes outside of you know carrie mulligan and bradley cooper but for those small moments like the Matt Bomer scene and even with Maya Hawk in that specific scene, but also in the scene that we're about to talk about in the, the Macy's day parade Thanksgiving scene. She did like she, once again, we're just learning more about um, Leonard Bernstein outside of his, his actions. Like we're learning more through subsequential actions by his family, by his wife, by his friends and so I think that's that that kind of solidifies me saying, oh, yeah, I think I do know more about Leonard Bernstein because of the other people as well. So let's talk about some of these scenes that worked. OK, I have two. I have two massive scenes. Let's let's talk about the Macy's Day Parade argument. This, to your point, you mentioned um, it. it is a stabilized shot. They do not move. They set the camera up and they and then let me paint the scene for anybody listening. So they're in their apartment, which has to be this incredible space because they are right next to the Macy's Day Parade, wherever it goes. You see the big ass Snoopy, you know, blow up, uh, what do you call that, float that goes by. And and Carrie Mulligan at this point as Felicia has just held on to so much. Like she's boiling inside. And to your point, she, she reserves it so well. She holds this look on her face. Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein is just kind of living his life. He doesn't care about anything else. He's kind of doing whatever he wants without consequence. He missed Thanksgiving, uh, the Thanksgiving meal or Thanksgiving day. And his family was like, what? You missed this. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm here now. Like, we're, we're celebrating this parade. Like, we're good, whatever. And so he's very kind of aloof. And then this scene just erupts absolutely erupts where one of the best lines of the entire film where where (laughs) felicia says you know she uses this analogy to like you never stand under a bird that's full of shit and she's like i've been standing under that fucking bird my entire life and i'm like wow like this is incredible so talk talk to me about your emotions as you watch this scene it's just one of those scenes like that's like the oscar scene you know what i mean like it's just one of those scenes that's so monumental and i bet writing this scene was so fun because just the way that they kind of like you said get to erupt at each other and i think the camera being there and being stationary and not not them covering both of them like they would usually do in you know off the shoulder shots is for me it was like watching it through a kid's eyes like your parents fighting 
because you're not right there, obviously. You're just like a little distance away or you hear overhear it or whatever. And yeah, she's just so fed up. And I just, it's just, it's funny. It's poignant. It's sad because she's kind of pointing out what I was saying earlier, how he, he loves that he's so chaotic and, but he doesn't really know himself. Like she knows him so well and she's frustrated with the person he's become, but she's frustrated because he doesn't understand that what he's doing is causing so many consequences for people around him. Yes, I agree. I also feel like the the film style, it reminds me of, once again, this whole film reminds me of just classic cinema because in classic cinema, they they wouldn't cut for like 15 to 20 minutes. Like they would allow these actors to just cook yes. and just really go at it with each other. And just like, I love that. Like this scene yes. was one yes. of my favorites because they are cooking. Like they are so good at acting because whether Felicia ends a line and Bradley Cooper's character like starts up, like they're just so in sync with each other in this argument that I almost yes. feel like part of it, I mean, I know it's not ad-libbed and I know it's not like they're not adding their own twist, but like it feels like they are because of how in sync the conversation is. And I love that at the end, you know, Bradley Cooper is just kind of stunned. He's kind of sitting there like, well, you actually made a good point. <laughs> and he's just, he's just like, he has nothing to say. Like he has nothing else to say. And then Snoopy floats by. And then by. Snoopy floats by. And that's so iconic. Do you think they, what did do you think they filmed that? Like, where do you think they actually filmed that? And what did they put behind there? Because I can't see Bradley Cooper being super CGI oriented. I actually don't think there's much digital in this movie. I That was probably, I mean, that had to be green screen, no? There's a part of me that wants to think that they created this room as like a stage. Like this this room is like a set. And then they, and then they like, they created some image or something that, go, like he just, the way that I see Bradley Cooper is a little bit similar to the like the PTA, like the Paul Thomas Anderson, where there's just no shortcuts. Uh-huh. Like we're not taking any shortcuts. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think you're I think that's true. It just I don't know. Maybe it is a green screen, but I would hope I'm just gonna leave the hope out there that it's not. Um let's go into the other performance. Okay. So the cathedral performance, which this is the famous, you know, Bradley Cooper did this for six years, for six minutes, this the sequence that Everybody's been talking about Bradley Cooper has been campaigning about everybody knows at this point um, just to paint a picture for anybody wondering. Uh, so this this scene where he takes this incredible orchestra, which to my understanding is actually a top orchestra. like this is a do you know context to this this group here? Give me one second because I just watched an interview with Bradley on this. OK, but keep talking. Yeah, because I know that. He brought in this this orchestra that's actually well known, I believe, German orchestra, and and they they filmed this scene. I believe it was the night prior, and you know he felt okay about it, and he was just kind of like ah, but I, I, it's not. I'm not going to settle, and I guess he decided to go in early the next day, prepare the scene. They brought in like the crane that that had that overhead shot uh, midway through that scene, which was incredible, but they brought in this this crane and he decided to just go and they did this one last time and it was so spot on it was so authentic and organic that after the fact one of the the members went up to him and said hey you know that recording we did last night and bradley was like yeah yeah we're not going to use that like we got what we need he's like oh no 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 you just need to know like that was shit 
this was it. Like you, you actually conducted us like this was, this was it. And he's like, Oh, I know. Like, trust me. I know. Thank you. But I know. So what, yeah. What are your thoughts on this scene? I mean, this was the scene that I was absolutely floored by the first time I saw it in terms of just scale and his performance. I think this is the pinnacle of Bradley Cooper's career is this sequence. Yep. Because he just puts his entire body, his entire physicality into this part of the film. And clearly it meant a lot to him for how much he worked on it. And it was with the London Symphony Orchestra at the Ely Cathedral, I think it's called. Um, And they filmed it exactly at that cathedral, which is where Leonard Bernstein or Leonard Bernstein did this, conducted this piece back in the 70s, I think. That's incredible. And he did the exact thing, which just like you said, Bradley Cooper really takes no shortcuts. And I love that shot of Felicia of Carrie Mulligan at the end of it, where she's like, you don't have hate in your heart anymore. Like that, it just got, it got me, you know, it, it really, that really solidified the movie for me and just the power. And like we said before, dedication he put into it and his performance is just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, look, at this point, we had no idea that, you know, whether him or Felicia would actually get back together or whether they'd talk to each other. So there's no expectation of Felicia being at this event. So when they first start showing this this performance, it's really just like, oh, like, okay, like Leonard Bernstein is back at it. Like he's, he kind of went through a phase of being a little bit, you know, fucked up and whatnot, but now he's back at the stage of like, I'm going to be the greatest, you know, conductor in the world is at least how he's portraying himself. And you see that, like you see Bradley Cooper sweating and getting animated and dancing. And this is my favorite scene of the entire year. Like of any movie that I've seen, I was I was so like brought to my seat of just like, whoa, like what did I just experience? And it's funny because even in Tar, like I think the music in Tar for the, that pivotal scene with Kate Blanchett is a little bit sharper and a little bit more like, like piercing. But I think the emotion and getting to this point of the film and where they're at in their lives. And then of course the camera pans behind the back of the head of Felicia and so you realize, oh, Felicia's there. And he goes over just like he did at every performance to give her a kiss after the the production. It was so perfect. Like truly, I think the most perfect scene that I've seen in 2023. And so I'm curious on that note with these two sequences, what were some of the other like W's? What were some of the other things that worked in this film for you? Yeah, just to touch on those two really quick, because I think there's a through line with them, which... It kind of comes full circle when Felicia is talking about the burden of his gifts, like his God-given talents. And I think that's also a really interesting just idea in general and what responsibility do we have to the gifts that we're given. And I think it really comes through in that conducting scene because he is given everything to those gifts. (laughs) Yes. Um, so that's why I really like those two together. I think another scene is, I forget what the exact line is, but I mean, one scene is that scene where with Leonard Bernstein and his daughter. That yes. really stood out to me yep. both times, which I already mentioned. And then another one is, I forget what the line is, but something about 
like if summer doesn't sing in you then then you can't make then you can't make music then you can't then the song doesn't sing yeah and then you can't make music i just thought that line was beautiful yeah and you can really feel their connection in that scene she's really trying yeah no i think in in regards to your point about that scene about him saying like hey if if summer doesn't sing in you then you can't make music and i think bradley cooper does a really good job of like implanting these little moments that come back and that's how the conclusion of the film comes back because felicia is interviewed and she says you know any more questions and at the end you know leonard bernstein is being interviewed and then he says you know any more questions and so i just think bradley cooper is so intelligent with the way that he pieced the story together which is such an unconventional film and the film is stunning like the colors like when truly black and white or the color sequences I mean, I don't know who did the cinematography on this, but they did a really, really good job. I mean, I believe the entire score is by Leonard Bernstein. Like, I believe every single song that they used was his own music. Um, The makeup and prosthetics, especially for all the criticism that he got for his nose, which never, ever stood out to me. Like, I never even thought twice about like, oh, his nose is too big or oh, like, He's disrespectful. Like the the prosthetics were incredible when he's sweating Insane. and like dancing in his his old like his older man hair. Like like it just doesn't look fake. All of it looks extremely real, so authentic. So I just think to your point, like I think the idea wrapped around this film was no shortcuts. And so I am curious, like if you had some elements, what did not work? I mean, I think I kind of touched on it the period of dead space almost like throughout especially the middle I think kind of affected me especially watching it for a second time I don't know now I'm just so positive about this movie like it really <laughs> especially that last it's a scene, really like, good ooh, movie like it just really got me and I think the not to totally derail the question but I think like you said like so much came full circle and Bradley Cooper is so so intentional about that Especially when they're sitting back to back, I loved that scene, yes. and then they did it at the end. It's like it's it's very sad, and I think another thing that is the true story, but just felt like almost too easy to me was that like she was that it turns into a cancer story, which is true, and it's extremely sad. And I think I do think they handled it, but I think they handled it kind of like every other movie handles it. So that didn't feel unique to me in any way. I do think Carrie Mulligan is astonishing towards the end of the film but I guess that kind of felt a little predictable to me not in any disrespect obviously but there's one moment with her cancer scene that stood out to me and that's when Leonard Bernstein walks in and he's like where's my patient and he like he's he's obviously hung over and he's he's done a lot of drugs and a lot of you know he's probably drank and whatnot and that to me like if anybody's like oh did I learn anything about Leonard Bernstein like that to me is the perfect pinnacle of who he was. Like he cared so much about his wife that he wanted to make sure she was like taken care of and that she didn't feel like a burden, but he also couldn't escape himself. Like he couldn't escape the person yeah. that he was. So ju- no matter how much he loved his wife, that never came between who he really was and who he really was never came between how much he loved his wife. And so I really loved that balance of his character And so to your point, like, I think the actual, like, her developing cancer and the phases of it truly just, it it was kind of what we predicted and what we would expect. I do think 
the time jumps throughout the film aren't clear. So sometimes you have to catch yourself like, oh, like they're they're not like transitioning from the last scene. Like they actually took some years or some time and that confused me a little bit. Um, I wish there was a little bit more context to understanding Lenny's relationship with like men, like and and who he dated and how he like, I don't know. I, I assume at that point, especially in, you know, that time frame compared to 2024, it wasn't easy to come out and say, I, you know, I'm attracted to the same sex. And so I, I would have liked a little bit more of like his confidence and how he developed that um, question for you. I don't know if you know this. I don't really know this, but like, why did Felicia jump in the pool? You know, when he finishes his, his, uh, what is that? His, his composition. What do you call that? His, his music. Like she runs out of the house and she jumps in the pool and she like sits there. And it, they made it seem super monumental, but I don't know why that was particularly focused on. Yeah, I don't know why that was particularly focused on either. To me, it kind of just felt like she's frustrated with, with everything that's going <laughs> on. And she doesn't want to celebrate him at the moment because he's constantly betraying her. Okay. But I will I will say I do understand. I don't know. That was just, I agree. I don't know why they focused on it because to me, it was kind of just another like scene. But I will say I do wish that they had at least not – I don't think they needed to focus too much on the bisexual aspect because I think at this point we don't want some huge sob story or something in films where it's trying to preach something or anything like that. I think the way they handled it was good. But I do – I'm a bit confused how that transition happened where like Felicia was not accepting of it but just like when did she find out? Does she really – understand how much this kind of affects their relationship and his his perception of himself but he she knows he loves uh he loves her so i agree with that that whole thing is is an aspect of the film that was an interesting part of his character but i wish was fleshed out a bit more yeah the second viewing helped a little bit because there is that moment where i think they're walking in like a corn maze or something or like just down a dirt road and they talked about like marrying each other essentially. And he's about to like tell her like upfront, like, Hey, I'm attracted to men. And she kind of like cuts him off. And she's like, look, I understand you. She's like, I understand. She's like, trust me, I get it. How about we try to make this work? And he's like, Oh, okay. And then he's about to get down on one knee. She's like, no, not here. And so that is the one, the only point. Cause to your, to what you're saying, there's like this weird like acceptance of just like, hey, do you, pal? Like, I'll do me, you do you. You know, it's like, oh, okay. But um, yeah, that that was something that I think was very, it was so valuable on a second watch that doesn't really hold a lot of value when you first watch it. Like you don't really get the concept of that scene unless you go back again. So as a music fan, um, I don't know them by heart. I now know Leonard Bernstein a little bit. Who's who's more beloved in the music community, Leonard Bernstein or Stephen Sondheim? They mention they mention both. I mean, they mention Stephen Sondheim, which, by the way, for anybody wondering, I very very briefly. Yeah, if you watch I, the only like pop culture moment that I've had with Stephen Sondheim is Tick Tick Boom. Like he his character is a, a big character in that story, at least as a mentor type character. So for you who loves music, who's uh, who's more beloved? Who's more reputable? In terms of composing material and creating work, at least in the musical theater world, Stephen Sondheim 
is, I mean, Leonard Bernstein really only did On the Town and West Side Story in terms of musicals. Uh, and he just, com- he just composed the, he just composed the music for it. He didn't write the lyrics. Whereas Stephen Sondheim has composed and written the lyrics for, I don't even know how many, upwards of 20, maybe more musicals. And no, probably less than 20, but like still <laughs> a lot. And so in my world, he's more known and, and beloved um, as a figure. So will will Bradley Cooper portray Stephen Sondheim next? Is that like the idea? <laughs> <laughs> um, is this a t- I do. I mean, yeah, we'll see about a Stephen Sondheim biopic. Oh, is is that coming? Like, is that something that we should expect? No, no, no. Oh, I, mean, I hope okay. so. I thought, no, I I thought you were so. like, I, hope so. I thought you knew something. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, no, I the material's I there. I, I mean, if the material's there for Leonard Bernstein, then the material's definitely there for him. I think they're going to wait a little bit because yeah. he just passed a few years ago. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they used his actual recording in Tick, Tick, Boom, like his phone recording, his voice, which was really cool. Um, is this a top 10 film for you in 2023? Do you think it will be after you watch your your films that you're going to catch up on? I think so because the subject matter really matters to me and touches me in a way that not a lot of films would. Just watching a movie where you can clearly tell that the filmmaker and the perform and the performers care so much about it is so exciting to watch because I, there's a lot of things nowadays that you can tell that just a lot of care maybe wasn't put into it, even if it's entertaining. There wasn't hours and years spent on it and so I really appreciate that about this movie. And I just love music and especially this kind of music. So it's it's very special. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love that you mentioned that about just like the care, because I think that is a part of the experience. Like you might not love the story, but you can definitely love the quality that is put into this because that that comes out just as much as the story itself. And so this is also a top this is a top 10 film for me. I'd say this is somewhere in the range of five to eight on my list if I were to re-rank my my list. But do you have a rating, like a one out of 10 or one out of five rating? I think on Letterboxd, I gave it a four. Dare I say, dare I say I remember you you docked it on your second viewing to a three and a half. Did I take it down? I think so. I think yeah, so. Which is totally fine. I There's nothing so wrong with that. I was taken aback by how slow it felt. It felt so long. I'll stand by that, I guess. Ugh. <laughs> It's so hard because there's the actual experience of watching it. And then there's like what I know about it cognitively. Like, I feel like I know some. That's the problem with being like obsessed with watching interviews and like you do reading a lot about movies and reading about the stories behind them is because you you feel such empathy for the filmmakers because you're like, oh, my God, they put so much time into this. Like, I want, you know, I want it to be good. Whereas like sometimes when you're watching it, I didn't. There's certain things where I didn't feel as emotionally connected to it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I do think... But I'll stick it, I'll stick it out of four. I think I was upset after my second show, <laughs> but I'll keep it out of four. I'll change it back. I'm curious if you watched that like with, with anybody who's just like maybe so deep into film. Like your family seems very into film, like very much big film people, but not like exploring film every day and like looking at... Like I wonder if you were to watch this like if you came over and like you watched it, I wonder if you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's a four, easy." Like second time around, oh for sure, no pressure, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I think it was watching it with my family. I wouldn't say they're huge into film. I think there's a certain type of movie they love, and and 
they're they they watch movies. They like watching movies and TV. Um, but I do think they like a typical kind of more generalized plot, which this movie's plot was iffy. There wasn't much plot, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and that's fine. And I like movies like that, but they don't really they can't really connect unless there's kind of a a compelling story. Like Oppenheimer obsessed loved it they loved it which is a long film and has a lot of artistic moments but in terms of that versus maestro i think they just connect with it in a different way like my dad said it was very well made and you know it was beautiful but he he couldn't really connect with it in the same way and like wish there was more music of his and more just more biopic uh typical content i guess in the film yeah he, he wanted a classic biopic like one kind of from exactly, start to which finish I, yeah i expect a lot of people did absolutely yeah. and i i think to their point i've heard this from many people who do like movies or they they watch it and they're like yo that was that was like really beautiful and i think that's like the word that they'll use they're, they'll never say like this is bad or like i hated this but i think no if they didn't no, no, like no. it as much they'll say wow like I can tell that was so well crafted and so beautifully made, but like not really for me, which is totally fine. Like, yeah, I don't expect it to be just like, you know, there are movies that people love that I like John Wick Four. I just can't get behind it. I'm sorry. I don't think it's a good movie, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, I give this a rating. I think these are on a little different <laughs> levels. Uh, absolutely. But apparently people don't think so. I mean, people are rating John Wick five out of five and then rating this two out of five and it's blowing my mind. But I gave this a very concrete four out of five. I think it is such a lovely film. It's delightful. It is, it, it's an experience into Bradley Cooper's mind as an artist. It's an experience into Leonard Bernstein as an artist and as a human being. And it's a big experience into Felicia as a human being constantly just weathered down by the deliberate, you know, mistakes and a deliberate kind of narcissistic you know, things that take place opposite of her. And so it was really cool to mash that all together. Um, any last thoughts about Maestro? Anything that we left out? Anything we didn't talk about? There's one scene I forgot to mention, which is when they're at lunch with, I think they're in a hotel or a, a nice restaurant or something with Felicia, her daughter, and Sarah Silverman, who plays Leonard Bernstein's sister. That scene stood I just keep thinking about that scene, to be honest. It's, I think, one of Carrie Mulligan's best moments in the film because she, it's a really intense close-up on her face from what I remember. And it's just her reactions to everything. You really don't get a lot of coverage of the other two. And I love when they keep the camera on actors' faces during other, or at least they edit it in, they keep it in, in yes. editing. Yes, yep. Where when someone else is talking, they keep the reaction on someone's face. And her like little eyebrow movements and eye movements, She's really good. Like, she's so, so good. She's just so good. I can't say that about her. She's great. And yeah, I think besides that, that was just one scene I forgot to mention. Sweet. Well, we loved it. We liked, I mean, I, you know, loved it, liked it. I think all, all in the same, you know, breath. I think it's a really good film. It's on Netflix. Definitely go watch this. Netflix is stepping up their game. They have May, December. They have Maestro. Um, Rebel Moon is not one of those, but you know, Rebel Moon is on Netflix. So you can watch that too. I don't know if you have a movie recommendation, but my movie recommendation is A Star is Born. I figured I'd throw this in here because it's Bradley Cooper's first directorial project. 
Um, Lady Gaga is phenomenal. The story is incredibly emotional. It's powerful. Do you have any movies that you'd like to suggest to anybody? Oh my goodness. I mean, from this year, if you haven't seen Past Lives, what's going on? Absolutely. I think that's my number one recommended probably from this year. Where does that stand on your list right now? Oh, it's number two on my movies. Number two on my list. Number two behind Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think so. I think so, too. I think same. Yeah. Past Lives is incredible. It's an incredible, incredible movie. And I want to go see it again. I'm going to see it for a third time. Why not? I'm going to do it. Oh, also, if you haven't seen the new Hunger Games prequel. That's fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's fun. I saw it twice, and that is a f- great night of the movies, so recommend. Tom Blythe is really good. I've never seen him in any- anything else, and he does he does a really good job. But yeah, thank you for thanks for joining, Leah. This was great. Thank, I mean, after four months of traveling, being in England, living your best fucking life, you are back. You are grounded. You're watching movies. You're joining I'm back podcasts. back in the United States. <laughs> you don't sound too excited now. Um for those who have stuck with us, thank you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk movies. Uh, we're definitely in festival season, or I shouldn't say festival. We're in award season. Award season. There's there's a lot going on. We are technically in festival season because Sundance is coming up, and I will be attending Sundance, so I'm very excited. So exciting. Um, maybe on my next episode, I'll talk about the movies that I'm going to because I'm very, very, very excited for the movies that I'm attending. And for the premieres, because there are a few of them that I will be seeing. So um, if you love movies, watch more. If you don't like movies, watch more. I think that's the the solution to everything. But if you also love movies and you want to learn more about movies, just listen to After Credits. This is a good time. So thank you, everybody, for joining. We'll talk next time. Peace. <laughs>